following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, we'll be started off in the book of James, chapter 5. Pretty close to the end of the New Testament. We are talking about how to hear more clearly from the Lord. Open our ears, Lord. That has been the title of this sermon series. We're now in part five. And as I've stated before, my goal and my hope is to take us from the beginning to the end of times, significant times, when the Lord spoke to His prophets, His patriarchs, and different people throughout Scripture, men and women both. Uh, God spoke to. He had special instructions, special orders. And uh, we're, we're going to fast forward a little bit this morning. We're going to talk about the prophet Elijah uh, in just a moment. When we get through with our reading in the book of James, we'll go back to 1 Kings 19. Uh, we talked about Moses for the past two weeks. Moses was on the backside of the desert when he had his burning bush experience. God spoke to him. He said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, release my children. Moses made a set of commandments when they were wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Uh, He broke those because the children of Israel had disobeyed the Lord. They were worshiping a golden calf. And so God said, I want you to go back up to the mountain and I'm going to give you a second set of commandments. It wasn't different. It was the same set. He said, but we need this set in stone. We need these commandments for God's people to learn and to memorize. And the reason we go to Elijah today is because Elijah has an experience with the Lord in pretty much the same location. Now, where Moses had the commandments given to him at was a place called Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. Uh, Mount Sinai was a specific location when the Bible refers to Mount Horeb. It is referring to a region in that area. It is on the Sinai Peninsula. And this is the area where the children of Israel wandered around for 40 years before they entered into the promised land. Let's read what the Bible has to say about Elijah. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus in chapter 5, has this to say. He gives kind of a brief synopsis of the life of Elijah. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. And James writes to us, beginning in chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. If you don't have this verse highlighted in your Bible, put a star by it, underline it, whatever it takes. This is going to be the basis of our sermon today. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he talks about Uh, the person that we'll be referring to this morning, the prophet Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like our own. That gives us some hope that Elijah went through some of the same things that we went through, some of the same suffering, some of the same emotions, some of the same struggles in life. Yet James says that Elijah was a man with great faith 
that spoke to the Lord and that the Lord spoke to him as well. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. I have a feeling somebody's been praying about that here lately. It's awful dry. We need some rain. But there's a plan and a purpose for that. And there was a plan and a purpose for Elijah praying for that and God not bringing rain for three years and six months. Well, look at what happened after that. It says, then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Wow, what kind of a prayer life is that? What does it take to be a person of that kind of prayer? How many of you believe that prayer truly does work? How many of you believe that we need to pray for our country right now? These red, white, and blue bands that we put out back during 4th of July, that's the whole intent of those, is to remind you to pray for our nation. These aren't just for you to keep, but they're for you to wear. And while you're wearing them, every time you look at it, say, I need to pray for my country. I need to be like Elijah. I need to be a man of fervent, effectual prayer. I need to see God pour out his blessings upon my country. And it simply says, God bless America. They're also for you to give out to others as well. It has John 3.16 on it also. And if you truly believe that there is power in prayer, and if you truly believe that prayer is the answer to what's going on in our nation right now, 4.30 this evening is an opportunity for you to exercise that faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we love you so much. And we thank you for this account, Lord God, this testimony of how powerful prayer is. Lord, I myself know personally that uh, prayer is one of those spiritual disciplines that is difficult to practice at times. But Lord, you say clearly that the person who lives a righteous life, the person that lives a godly life, the person that has an effectual, fervent prayer life, a lot can happen through those prayers. And Lord, I just pray that uh, this morning as we explore this opportunity to hear from you, as we explore the impact that you had upon Elijah's, not only his life, but upon the nation in which he served, Lord God, that we would learn lessons from that. And we pray that you'll stir among us. We pray that you'll move in our lives. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hearing from the Lord. Uh, a lot of us uh, have assisted hearing. We have ways of helping our hearing, increasing our hearing. A lot of us will talk to different things to get information. Uh, many of you have a device like this that is in your purse or in your wallet or in your pocket right now. Hopefully it's on silent because we don't want it going off uh, during the church service. And what I'm about to say might accidentally make your phone respond because a lot of times not only do we talk to other people through these devices, but there's actually technology now that allows us to speak to this device and it will give us the information that we need by simply stating just a few words. Our, our sermon series is about hearing from the Lord, but what do we want to hear from the Lord? We want to speak to the Lord. Lord, these are the things that I want to understand. These are the things that I want to know. God, answer this question for me and speak to my heart. A lot of times you can pull out this device and you can say, Hey Siri, and she'll respond. And then you ask her any question you want to. Hey Siri, does God still speak to us? 
<laughs> Even Siri knows that. So if you're not hearing from the Lord, yeah, she still want to talk to me. I'm going to put her back on mute. But a lot of times when you get something like that, there'll be several different places that'll pop up. Bible studies, devotionals, how to hear from God, how to know God is speaking to you. And she'll actually tell you the, que- the answer to the question that you're asking for. If we have a device in our pocket that can give us that information, how much more does our loving Heavenly Father want to speak in our lives, intercede on our behalves, and show us specifically the things that we need to do? Earlier in James's book, he says, you have not because you ask not. And like Siri said just a moment ago, sure, you just ask. A lot of times we don't hear from the Lord because we're afraid to ask him because we're afraid of the response that he's going to give us. We feel like that we'll be obligated to do what he's asking us to do. So the prophet Elijah, he was a person uh, who spoke to the Lord frequently. Elijah was a prophet extraordinaire. Uh, A lot of times in the New Testament, when you see Jesus talking about the prophets, he talks about Moses and Elijah. That's one of the reasons we fast forwarded to uh, 1 Kings 19 today, so we can focus on those two characters in the Bible and learn from them. Uh, Elijah was also a statesman. He loved his country, and he wanted to see his country return to the Lord. He was somebody that would probably wear one of these and say, I'm going to pray for my country Every time I get the opportunity to pray. I'm going to say things to my country, the people in my country that will help them turn back to the Lord. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, what had just happened was that Elijah had a showdown. He had a challenge. Not only for the prophets of Baal, the false god, but also for the people of Israel. Basically, he drew a line in the sand. He said, you've got to make a choice here. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve Baal or are you going to serve the Lord? He gave the prophets of Baal, over 400 of them, the opportunity to make their sacrifice and call upon their God. He said, here's what we're going to do. The the person who calls upon their God and their God answers, that's the one that we're going to worship. All day long, all night long, the prophets of Baal, they danced, they prayed, they cut themselves, they, they cried out for their God to answer, and there was no answer. And Elijah was sitting in the background, and he was just mocking them. He was making fun of them. He said, look, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's just not listening at all. And then Elijah put his altar together, 12 stones, put the sacrifice on it. He poured water on it. In a time when there was drought, he found enough water to wet down the sacrifice. He said, Lord, he said, I want you to show these people that you truly are the God that they should worship. And when he prayed that, fire fell down from heaven and consumed the altar, the sacrifice, the water around it, even burned up some of the people that were standing close by. Elijah had just called down fire from heaven and had won the battle. And you would think that if anybody was fearless, If anybody trusted in the Lord, it would have been Elijah. But we find out in chapter 19 that pretty soon, old wicked King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they had it out for Elijah. They had had enough of him. 
And they threatened to take his life from him. And Elijah ran in fear from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel after Elijah had just called down fire. James had just told us, Elijah was a man with a nature like us. He suffered from fear. He suffered from depression. He suffered from anxiety. He suffered from so many things, but God still used him. And God spoke to him during that time and redirected his life. So there's five specific things that I want us to look at that we can learn from Elijah in this event that he underwent. There's three things that we can see from Elijah's life that will negatively impact our ability to hear from the Lord. These are what we call prayer inhibitors. These are things that will inhibit us and keep us from hearing God's voice. Two things we're going to look at Lord, our prayer initiators, they will initiate our faith and help it to grow. First thing that we see happens in verses 1 through 3 of 1 Kings chapter 19. The thing I want you to see about this is that we fail to hear from God when we struggle with adversity. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. It says that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. He didn't talk about what God had done. He talked about what Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, And left his servant there. The man who had just called down fire from heaven was fleeing for his life. He was suffering from adversity. He had two people that were after him. And Jezebel had made a commitment. Elijah, I'm going to make you 12 inches shorter. I'm going to take your head off. I'm going to execute you. I'm going to do the same thing that you did to our prophets. And if I don't do it, let the gods have their way with me. How many of you today have a King Ahab or Queen Jezebel in your life? I'm not talking about a literal person. I'm talking about maybe a situation that has caused adversity in your life. What does adversity do to us? What should adversity do to us? Adversity should make us seek the Lord more diligently than we ever have before in our life. Hebrews chapter 11, 6 says uh, that without faith it is impossible to please to God. He who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him diligently. Adversity. At some point in time we all struggle with it. We all face it. We all have challenges that we must overcome. And probably each and every one of us here has some type of different adversity that we're facing in our life right now. Ruth Haley Barton had this to say about adversity. She says, as strange as it may sound, desperation is a really good thing in the spiritual life. Desperation causes us to be open to radical solutions, willing to take all manner of risk in order to find what we are looking for. But instead of running closer to God during his time of adversity, Elijah ran away from the Lord. We see that also in another prophet we know by the name of Jonah. 
God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, a very wicked city. And instead, Jonah went in the opposite direction. The apostle, uh, not the apostle, but David wrote in the Psalms, he said this, he says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted because during my affliction, I drew closer to you. I grew stronger. I drew more closer to you than I ever would have any other way. Fear, adversity. The Israelites, after they had made their exodus from Egypt, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because they had faced adversity. They were living in fear. They sent out 12 spies to the promised land and 10 of them came back. They said, we can't take these people. They're huge. They're giants. Even though God had just delivered us from the Egyptians, we don't think that he is able to help us to conquer these people. But two men, Caleb and Joshua, said, God can defeat them and God will help us. We need to go and take this land right now because it is a good land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is the land that God had promised us. But because the Israelites listened to the ten negative reports, they ran in fear and they wandered in fear for 40 solid years. Adversity. Adversity and fear create reactions in us that completely change the course of everything in our lives that God wants us to do. Many people will completely quit following the Lord when the first hint of adversity shows up. God, this situation is too difficult. Even though you saved my soul from hell, even though you told me that if I have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, I can move a mountain. This situation right here is too big for me to go through. And they quit following the Lord altogether. This is the same situation that Elijah's in. They either fail to hear God's voice or they hear it and they intentionally choose to no longer obey it. So the first leg of Elijah's journey takes him to Beersheba, 90 miles south. You see that in verse 3. It says, when he saw that, when he heard Jezebel's threat, whenever this messenger came and put this threat on his life, it says he immediately rose and he ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, 90 miles away. But he also left his servant there. He's flying solo now. A couple of years ago, we, uh, you've heard me say this maybe several different times. Uh, there's an acronym that you need to remember that will keep you close to the Lord. There, there are some things in your life that you need to avoid that will make you weak in your faith. And it's the acronym HALT, H-A-L-T. Charles Stanley taught me this many years ago. The acronym HALT stands for this. Don't let yourself get hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And by the end of this passage, you're going to see Elijah suffered from all four of those things. The first one is loneliness. He left his servant and he went on his own on the next leg of his journey. The next thing I want you to see is this. Not only do we fail to hear from the Lord when we struggle with adversity, we fail to hear from God when we're controlled by anger. H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Verse number four says that he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness 
and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that night uh, that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Not only is Elijah afraid of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, but he's also angry at the people of Israel for not following the Lord as closely as they should have. And we see later on in verse 10, uh, he gives the Lord the reason why he was so angry, why he was running. He says, I have been jealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel have broken your, uh, they have forsaken your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed the prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. He's angry at the people of his nation for not following the Lord. What is the solution to Elijah's adversity and anger problem? What is the first thing he does? Verse number five says he took a nap. (laughs) He lay down and he slept under the broom tree. He didn't know what else to do. What was the Lord's solution for that? He provided him with breakfast in bed. An angel of the Lord tapped on him, woke him up. He said, look, you've got bread and water right here. Get ready because you're fixing to have to travel a long, long way. A 40 days journey as a matter of fact. So something that the text does not bring out uh, in the details is the distance that Elijah has to travel to make this round trip. Because God brings him from Mount Carmel where he had his victory at to Beersheba to Mount Horeb and then all the way back up to Damascus. A little over a thousand mile round trip. when all he had to do was travel 90 miles to Damascus to fulfill what God eventually Ask him to do. So while Elijah was living in fear and anger, God would not give him his next marching orders. God sent him on a very long journey to make sure that Elijah was listening. Are you controlled by anger? Is anger something that keeps you from hearing the Lord. The psalmist said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So I think it's something that does impact the communication between us and the Lord. In his model prayer, Jesus said, How can we ask God to forgive us when we're not willing to forgive others? Because we're angry at them. But here's Elijah, he's in love with the Lord. He's in love with his nation. He's in love with the people that God has sent him to serve. But right now, he's angry at him. He said, God, they have forsaken your commandments. And I'm the only one that's doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But yet, he's running from the Lord. That's what brings up to my next point. Point number three. Not only do we fail to hear from God when we struggle with adversity and anger, We also fail to hear from God when we are filled with arrogance. We get all proud and boastful and puffed up. And we see Elijah talking in that manner. Verses 9 and 10. After he went on his 40-day journey, uh, the Lord told him, rise up and eat. Uh, He took the bread, he took the water, and he went on his 40-day journey to the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, 
the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Is that something that God's asking you today? What are you doing here? What are you doing here in this church service this morning? Is just a, this just a moral obligation, something that you want to check off of your checklist and say, God, I did this today, now bless me. What, what are you doing here in this community? What are you doing here in Morgan City? Why does God have you here? What are you doing in this day and age? There is a specific reason that God has sent you here and allowed you to exist. It's not just to occupy space, but God has a plan for your life. But if you're puffed up with pride and arrogance, that's going to keep you from hearing the voice of the Lord. And that's going to keep you from obeying the directions that he has for your life. We fail to hear from God when we are filled with arrogance. What was Elijah's response when God asked him that question? God knew what Elijah was doing in that cave. He knew what he was doing on the run from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, yet God was giving Elijah the opportunity to repent, tell him what was really on his heart, and give him the burden instead of carrying it himself. Elijah's response, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. I've also been zealous for the children of Israel. They have forsaken your covenant. Me, me, me. I, I, I. Look what I've done, Lord, and look what they've done. It's not my fault that things are the way they are. It's their fault. But yet Elijah was the one that had the direct communication with the Lord and was able to call down fire from heaven. And now he's living with this pride in his life. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But God has not given up on Elijah just yet. Let me just say this. God's not given up on you either. He's not given up on me. And he's not given up on our country yet because we're still here. The church still exists. And Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So as long as there's breath in our lungs... As long as there's blood coursing through our vein, as long as God is still on His throne and He's never going to be removed from His throne, there's still an opportunity for God to do great things in our nation. And as long as God has Elijah right there where He wants Him, listening to Him, seeking His will, if He would remove His pride, God says, I'll show you exactly what needs to take place in this nation for God's people to turn back to me. And we see that at the end of this passage. But arrogance, pride, God only does business with those who mean business. God only does business with those who seek to build His kingdom. That's what our Sunday school lessons have been about for the past three or four weeks. What does a disciple do to benefit God's kingdom? Elijah says, I am the only one, Lord. I'm the only one that's listening to you. I'm the only one that's obeying you. But later on in this passage, God says, "Uh uh-uh, you're not the only one. (laughs) I've got 7,000 other prophets who have not bailed their knee to Baal. 
They haven't bowed down to him. They haven't worshipped him. Elijah, you're not the only one. And as long as you're living with this pride and this arrogance in your life, I can't use you. So we have to do something to remove that out of that way and give you an obedient heart and a listening ear. Michael Catt says this in his book, The Power of Purpose. He says, as I study church history and in particular revival history, it is apparent that the people God uses when he chooses to move are people who purposefully consist or who are purposefully consistent. They are consistent in prayer. They are consistent in commitment to the word. They are passionate about God and the things that matter. And they stand firm and strive with other like-minded believers and leave the results to God. And that's what Elijah should have done. He should have said, you know what, God? You take care of Ahab and Jezebel, and I'm not going to worry about it. But he said, he said, I am the only one that's serving you right now. Next we see this. Here are some things that will help you hear clearly from the Lord. Are, are you really anticipating Him to speak to you? Are you really anticipating Him to move in your life? Are you really waiting for Him? God, what is my next step? What are the directives that you have for me next? God, I, I've accomplished the last thing that you asked me to do. And now I'm anticipating your next orders for my life. Point number four, we hear God clearly when we live in anticipation. This quote at the end of your outline, Henry Blackaby, when he wrote the uh, book Experiencing God, he says, one of the greatest tragedies among God's people is that although they deeply long to experience God, they are encountering Him day after day, but do not recognize Him. This morning's Sunday school lesson, it was all about anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what you wake up each and every morning saying to yourself, God, this could be the day that you return. Let me live like it's the day that you're going to be returning because I don't know when that day is going to be. But God had to do something to get Elijah's attention. He had to do something to humble Elijah. And so in that cave, he has an experience. Beginning in verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind pour into the mountains and broke the rocks. How do you recognize the presence of God? How can you leave a place and say, surely God was in this place? Let me tell you something. Nobody ever walks away from an experience with the Lord and says, man, that was boring. <laughs> that was dull. But when you have an experience with the Lord, you walk away and you say, man, that is going to change my life. Forever. There's no doubt at all that the Lord has visited with me, me in this place. And He has spoken something to me more clearly than I've ever heard before in my life. This wind passes by. It's a great and strong wind. It's something like Elijah has never experienced before. So in the Hebrew, uh, in the he, I'm going to get it in just a minute. In the Hebrew and in the Greek language, the meaning is the same. The meaning of the name word or the word wind, it means breath or spirit or wind. In the Hebrew, it is the word ruach, 
And in the Greek, it is the word pneuma, like pneumatic or pneumonia, having to do with breath or wind. It can also represent several things in Scripture. In a negative sense, the word wind represents adversity. You think about it. The disciples, the night that they were on the Sea of Galilee, they faced a wind like they had never experienced before. The Lord was testing them. And this wind was their adversity. When Jonah disobeyed the Lord, one of the first things that the ship ran into was a uh, tempestuous wind. It was a vehement east wind at the end after the city of Nineveh had repented. That scalded Jonah so much and burning. God was trying to get his attention. In a positive sense, the word wind represents God's presence or his Holy Spirit that brings new life. Whenever Jesus had his conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. But it changes a man's life and it changes a man's heart. The disciples in the upper room of the book, uh, book of Acts chapter 2, it says that the Holy Spirit came in like a great and mighty rushing wind and it filled the room. So the first thing that grabs Elijah's attention as he's anticipating hearing from the Lord was a wind. But it says that the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. Here's what I want you to see about this. Is that God will move heaven and earth to get your attention. He will change the environment and the atmosphere of where you are at in such a way to where you have no other choice but to say, God, is that you trying to speak to me? Is that you trying to get my attention? Why are you changing these things in my life? But God was not in the earthquake either. Next, and this is probably where Elijah was expecting to see the Lord at because Elijah had just called down fire from heaven and he experienced the Lord in that matter. When Moses had his uh, mountaintop experience, it was a burning bush, it was a fire that the Lord spoke from. The Lord was not in the earthquake either, but the Lord, after the earthquake, came a fire. The Lord was not in the fire either. Here's what I want you to see about this. We don't, we can't predict where God is going to speak to us at. We have certain places that we go and we speak to Him. That's one of the things that I've been teaching in this whole series. Have a regular place where you go and meet with the Lord at. But when God is ready to get your attention, He's going to get it no matter where you're at. But Elijah was predicting, man, this is a fire. This is where God is going to be. I know this is him. He's fixing to speak to me because I had this mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel. Fire came down. The Lord revealed himself. We, we can't manufacture the presence of God. We can't replicate it. We can't predict where he's going to show up at. Because just like it says here in this passage, after the earthquake there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But obviously it was enough to get Elijah's attention. 
Because it says that after the fire came the still small voice. None of these events made Elijah really stop and pay attention. He knew something was going on. A great wind that tore through the mountain, moved the rocks, an earthquake that shook everything. A fire, something that was completely visible. He probably felt the heat from it. But God didn't show up in any of those things. Instead, it was that still, small voice when everything was over and said and done with. The New Living Translation that I read out of earlier, when it talks about the still, small voice, it talks about a gentle whisper. If you have the Amplified Version, it has a gentle blowing Sometimes God just says real softly, hey, we need to talk. I have something for you. I have something I want to say to you. And when this still small voice came in verse 11, it says, So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, Elijah was probably expecting God to say something different, but God asked him the very same question that he had asked earlier. What are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on? Why are you hiding right now instead of obeying me? How can I speak to you if I don't have your attention? Maybe that's what God is saying to you right now. What is it going to take to get your attention. How much adversity are you going to have to go through before you finally say, God, I want to hear your voice clearly than I ever have before in my life. And Elijah says the same thing, thinking that he might change the Lord's mind. He says, I've been very zealous for you, Lord, because the children of Israel are forsaking your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And this is where God gives him the affirmation that he needs. What is God asking you today? What is the question that keeps repeating in your life? What are you doing here? Can you hear his voice? What is he trying to do to get your attention? Is he attempting to move heaven and earth? Is he attempting to change your schedule? Is he attempting to change your routine? Maybe change your health or change your occupation? Change your family situation? What are you doing here? What's going on that makes you think God is standing there saying, hey, why won't you turn and listen to me? I'm trying to get your attention, but you're not responding. When God finally gets Elijah's attention, he gives him his next direction that's going to change the situation in his nation. Point number five. When we hear God's voice clearly, He provides the necessary affirmation. God gives Elijah a new direction. What was the solution to Elijah's dilemma? A purpose and a friend. 
He says, I'm going to give you some new marching orders, but I'm also going to give you a new companion, someone that will hold you accountable. Here's what the Lord had to say in, beginning in verse 15. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Almost right back where he started up. God's taking him on a roundabout trip just to show him who's in control. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel Mahanam, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah had to go on over a thousand miles round trip to get these directions from the Lord. If he would have obeyed the Lord the first time, it would have only been a 90 mile trip, less than 100 miles. If we'll learn to hear God's voice, we won't have to go through all of that trouble. We won't have to take the long route. We'll be exactly where God wants us and where he can use us the most. What was Elijah's affirmation? What did all that mean? What was it that the Lord was trying to do through these next steps? God said, Elijah, I'm going to send you to do something that will change the entire course of your nation. The cave time that Elijah spent resulted in three separate things. He says, I want you to anoint Hazael as king. Hazael would eventually attack King Ahab and weaken him. He says, and I want you to anoint Jehu. Jehu would eventually seize the throne and oppose Baal worship. Elisha would assist Jehu in striking down the remaining prophets of Baal an entire nation would benefit from God's people hearing and obeying God's voice. How important do you think it is for us to hear from God's voice today? Whenever you go into the election booth this coming fall, have you prayed about the candidates that you'll be voting for? Have you heard God's voice in the past elections that you participated in? Listen once again to what we read in Psalms chapter 85. I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying. For He speaks peace to His faithful people. But let them not return to their foolish ways. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him. So our land will be filled 
with His glory. But it all starts with this. I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying. Elections coming up. Back to school prayer walk later today. Our nation is getting weaker and weaker because our prayer meetings are getting smaller and smaller. Our pews are empty in churches these days because our altars are empty as well. We have an opportunity to before us and in just a moment when the invitation starts, you have an opportunity to intercede on behalf of those around you. Ask God to fill these pews up next Sunday. Ask God to allow you to uh, have a conversation with someone this week that you can share the gospel with and invite to church. You have an opportunity in just a moment to pray for teachers as they begin back to school. They've already begun preparing, but the students will be back this Tuesday here in our parish. In just a moment, these altars will be open for you to make a difference in what's going on in your family, in our parish, in our city, and in our nation. But most importantly, as you learn to hear from the Lord, God will give you each and every step that you need the steps of a good man, the steps of a good person, boy, girl, man, woman, student, employee, the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. But you've got to be tuned in to His voice. You can't live in fear. You can't live suffering from adversity. You can't live in arrogance. You've got to humble yourself before the Lord. Jesus told the parable of the publican and the Pharisee. He said two men went up to, one, uh, to pray. He said one was standing up proud, boastful in all of his clothing. He prayed out loud where everyone could hear him. But he said there was another person. He said he bowed down on his knees and he smote on his chest and he said, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. He said that's the prayer that God will hear. The prayer of a humble person. And as James wrote in chapter 5, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you stand in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you have one or not, that's between you and the Lord. There's no way that I can know for sure, but you know for sure. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your prayers won't make it out of the roof of this building. But the moment that you bow down and you say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, God's ears are tuned in to what you're saying. And He wants to be a part of your life. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, during this invitation time, there's nothing more I'd rather do than to tell you how to begin that. Maybe you're here today and you are a believer. You know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're a child of God. But it's been a long time since you've heard His voice. 
It's been a long time since you've gotten serious about doing business with Him. God only does business with those who mean business. And I think today if these altars and these pews, these prayer benches were filled with people pleading for God, that we can alter the course of our nation. We can most definitely alter the course of what's going on in our school systems right now and in our parish. And it all starts with God saying, with, with you saying, God, change my heart. And make it usable. And help me to be tuned in to what you're saying to my heart and my life. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, our nation needs you. Our schools need you. God, I need you. I need you more, Lord God, than I ever have before in my life. As we sang out here, Lord God, more than my very next breath, more than my next heartbeat, Lord God, more than anything, we need you. So I pray this morning, Lord God, that the people of God would turn to you and seek your will and seek your way and be obedient to what you're telling them to do. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, if they've never experienced your salvation, Lord, as the psalmist wrote in Psalms 34, 8, to taste and see that the Lord is good, I pray that they would experience firsthand today what it means to trust in you and to walk with you in obedience. And we just ask it in Jesus' name. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.